Have you ever wondered what God thinks of you? I wonder that at times. When I think of it, I don't always come up with the best conclusions. There are times I think that I'm not quite lining up with what he would be approving or be happy about. And that tends to be where we land in our thinking. We have struggles thinking of our own self-worth. And wherever our challenge is with that, we can place that on God, thinking that he must not be pleased with me. The reality is that's not true of how God thinks of us. He always has a good view of us, even when we're not in the best of positions or postures in how we're walking it out. His love for us is always full and complete, and he sees the image that is stamped on us of himself, what we've been created to be, who, who we've been created to be. And even when we're not quite measuring up to it, he still sees the possibilities, and he's not looking at us disdainfully. This is something that's hard for us to grasp, but my prayer is we'll grasp that reality today. What do you think of when you hear the word father? So much of that all depends on what our relationships have been like in the natural world. It's one of the great challenges of understanding God the Father is having relationships in the natural world, in our family structures, where sometimes there have been disappointments or there have been challenges. Sometimes there's not the best thought of how someone's been treated in their years growing up or wherever we're at. In other cases, it's beautiful and wonderful because the family structure seemed to serve one another really well. Even in the best of circumstances, we are failed, flawed human beings, and we're going to have some moments of disappointment. One of our challenges today is to get past what we think of in the natural realm and realize who our Father is in heaven in all reality and get out of our own head and the way that we sometimes process life into God's mindset and how he sees us. We've been talking about Jesus throughout this year. Who is this man? It's a beautiful opportunity today to do that again and to understand the Father heart of God through Jesus. Who is this man? Jesus, the only Son of God. And yet he thou becomes our elder brother when he invites us into the family. We get adopted in as sons and daughters into the eternal family of God, and his Father is now our Father too. How can we see the Father's love through Jesus? Who is this man? He is one with the Father. John chapter 10, the Gospels paint the picture for Jesus for us. And here in the Gospel of John chapter 10, verse 22, we see this impact of Jesus and the Father being united. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus speaks about the ultimate Father, the Heavenly Father, His Father, and he, as the Son and his Father, are one. There's never been a relationship, Father to Son, as beautiful and powerful as that one. Now that we can come into relationship with Jesus, there are people that are trying to figure him out. Is he the Messiah? Is he who he seems to be? They're still trying to figure that out. And some of them don't get him because they haven't yet put their faith in him. And Jesus is saying, my sheep, Hear my voice and they know me, but some of you aren't there yet because you haven't come in. You can't, haven't come to accept me. If you do, you will all of a sudden be 
in the relationship that I am in with the Father, you'll be in it too. And no one can snatch you from the Father's hand. The Father in heaven won't allow it. Beautiful picture of God's thoughts toward you and toward me. He loves us so much, he's not going to let anything happen to us that will bring about our demise for eternity. Once we put our faith in Jesus, his son, we're adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of the Father, and his love is secure, and we can hold on to him forever because he will hold on to you forever, no matter what. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither life nor death, nor angels nor demons and powers and all kinds of things, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God thinks of you. Let's get that image of the Father, one who's perfect and one whose love is perfect and whose power is not conquerable by any other source. And once we give ourselves over to him, we're secure. He's going to hold on to us and never let us go. I love that about him. Move over just a few chapters in John to 17, chapter 17 and verse 22. This whole chapter, John 17, is noted as a high priestly prayer. Jesus, the high priest, is praying to the Father all kinds of things for us, for the future, for us to be made one and be united in fellowship with each other. It's part of the beauty of coming into faith in Jesus and being part of the Father's love in the family is that we now can have unity among ourselves. You and I become united. We become one body, one people, and Jesus is praying for that. Here he says in verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Think of this. The glory, Jesus is talking to his Father. He's praying to the Father. The glory that you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. God, through Jesus, gives us his glory, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is who Jesus is. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made, I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the heart of the Father. He wants to pour his love out to us, in us, and empower us for everything that we have for us to do in this world. We seem to have a lot of different opinions about what God the Father is like. We need to get our unified view of what the Father is like by the way he presents himself. Let's get our head out of the natural realm and thinking only about how we view fatherhood in this life. I think of my father a lot. Here we come to a Father's Day, and it's been nine years since my dad passed away very suddenly. It was such a shock getting a call that day that he had had a heart attack, and by the time I got to the hospital, he was gone. He was gone when he was found, sitting in his car in a parking lot, at Trinity Church where he was working at the time. And it was just an out-of-body experience trying to figure out what in the world happened. He was fine up until that moment. I remember the first Father's Day after that day felt really weird. I remember being here, standing at this podium and being overwhelmed with emotion. Every once in a while, that emotion will kick in, and then other times I'm able to manage it. Yet it's always great memories on days of this nature when I think of my dad and now being a father and having three kids of my own who are all adults and now the cycle of life, having grandchildren. It really is amazing what life brings us. 
I've been, after services of late, being in the lobby to sign the book that I've written. If you haven't picked up a copy yet, be sure to get one. It's a special gift that's been made available to everybody in our church. We want you to have one. It's, it's a really beautiful story of something that God has done in my life and in our church that's still unfolding. One of the things I've been discovering is interacting with people briefly, signing books there, is the varied experiences that people have, the, the variables of life situations and circumstances. It can be overwhelming to realize how challenging this life is and this world is. This is how our faith matters so much because God supersedes all the pain, all the things that have gone on, whether it's someone's actions toward us that was hurtful, it could be our own actions that sometimes we become deficit in our own life emotionally and physically and who knows what kinds of things affect us to where we're not always responding in the best manner to people that we care a lot about. It's so fraught with ups and downs and challenges, yet through it all, we can come back to the reality of who our Heavenly Father is and He can restore us to a place of wholeness. We sang a song earlier that had these lyrics, I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. When we sing these songs and why it matters when we come together like this, these are reminders. These are doctrinal statements. These are truths that we can lay hold of. I love it to be reminded of things that I know, but sometimes I let them flee from my mind. I need to get these thoughts back in my mind. Stuff them back in. Don't let them go. Don't let them go over your head. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. The Father's love is toward me. The Father's love is toward you. That song goes on to say, I am surrounded by the arms of the Father. I am surrounded by songs of deliverance. We are delivered from our bondage. We are the sons and the daughters. Let us sing our freedom. We're here today to sing our freedom, that we have freedom through the love of our Father. Our Father is faithful in his love for us. Think about that. Even though in this life we have unfaithfulness toward one another on occasion, we want to improve that. We want to overcome that. We want to get healed from that. Even as that's working and happening one thing we can rest assured of, the Father's love for us is constant and sure. He has perfection in his love for us. Our Father is faithful in his love for us, no matter what we've done. You could think like, man, you don't know my story. How could he be loving me? It's not about that. It's the fact that he created you for his glory, for his purpose, and he's going to work out all of those wrinkles in our lives and all of those deficits and all those blemishes, they all get covered. When I think of the thief on the cross, I think of a situation where God the Father didn't look down on this man with all his blemishes, and he had many. He was dying for something he deserved to die for, but he saw Jesus there dying with love, and he reaches out to Jesus while hanging on a cross and say, would you remember me? He put his faith in Jesus, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Father's love is faithful even when we're not. And here's a man who gets completely free forever, and he didn't do anything to deserve it. He didn't have any time to get his life back online. Wherever we're at in the journey, it's not an excuse to go down a bad track. It's rather an encouragement that no matter what our track has been, we come where we're at and know that the Father's love is always faithful. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. I'm grateful for that today. Few people know God in all his loveliness while living in this brief life. We want to get to know him better, experience his love. Our father is innately generous. Creation shows his generosity. Look around at the things that he makes, the beauty of it, the oceans, the mountains, the rivers, the flowers, the skies with all their colors, all the things that are created by God on this planet, just remarkable beyond 
the ability to comprehend. It's generous. It's the generosity of our God. It's his love. He loves to create. He's an artist, and he wants to create in you. He'll make an artistry out of you and what can happen in your life when you give yourself over to God. Suddenly, all the blemishes he turns into beauty, all the broken glass of our lives he turns into stained glass that gets all mended back together and paints a beautiful picture and he can make an image out of you that no one else can. Beautiful in all of his ways. That's who he is. He's a generous God. I want to be that kind of a father. I want to be a father that's always loving, faithful to my family. And wherever I stumble and fail, I want to improve. I want to be a generous person to my family. It's in my heart to do. I have that great desire to be generous to my family. My dad was a generous person to me, to our family. There were times that he was frugal beyond frugal. Like seriously, I remember growing up concerned about what to order at a restaurant because my dad pointed out how much everything cost. You know, don't get that steak, you can get that hamburger. It's like one-third the cost of that steak. I want the steak. That's not the point. This other part is less expensive. That's how I grew up. You know what I've done now? Lost my mind. I always get the steak. Like, I'm done with that. I've rebelled against that. Yet at the same time, my dad gave me a car in my adult life when I needed one real bad. A van to transport my family and my little kids. Like, not going to buy me a steak, but you'll buy me a car? Like, really? I remember one time we went to Hawaii. My, my parents wanted to take our whole family and our kids, grand, the grandkids. We went to Hawaii. It was the one time we'd never done it before. We're all there, and we were having this dinner, on this restaurant on the beach, like the table's literally on the sand on the beach in, in Maui. And my kids were raised with me saying, you can get whatever you want, because I, I didn't want to you know, put that frugalness onto them should have, like, you know, foolish on my part. My dad was wise beyond all things. I'm, I just admit it. I'm foolish on some of those things. But so what happens? Sometimes you react. And I remember watching my kids order the expensive items on the menu, and my dad got quieter and quieter. He's always the life of the party, but I could see him adding it up in his head, you know, and it was, it was comedy to us. We've laughed about it as a family ever since. Anyway, why am I saying that? I'm, I'm off, way off track. My dad was generous in so many ways. That's our Father in heaven. He loves to lavish his love upon us. That's who he is. Our Father accepts us unconditionally. Do you have any idea how attractive you are to God? It's hard for us to think of ourselves this way. One of the biggest hindrances to our walk with him is a sense that our flesh is repulsive to him because of our failures. This is not just it's not true of who God is. The enemy, the devil, wants to plant these thoughts in our mind to keep us down, to keep us discouraged, when in reality, God looks at you and thinks amazing things. He sees the beauty of who you are. He sees the beauty of the future that is before you, that's our Father's love, and Jesus is trying to help us see that. His Father and Him were one all the time. Now we come into faith in Jesus, and we become a part of the family, and He wants us all to be one too. He wants us all to get along. When we understand His love and how He pours it out in our lives, He can help us grow in how we love each other. It's a beautiful part of the journey that we're on. We're going to sing this song in a moment that has these lyrics we are the sons, we are the daughters of God. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. Think of that. No matter where we go, we're close to the Father's heart. We can't run from him, he'll go wherever we're at. It chases us down, you can't get away from him, from his love. He's not chasing you down to harm you, he's chasing you down to love you. That's who he is. We are the sons, we are the daughters of God. His love he lavished on us and called us children of the king. And in his loving kindness, he chose the lowly and the weak. He chose us in our state of weakness. And his heart is good. He is always kind. 
With a cross he proved he is on our side. He's proved his love to you and to me. Let's come into fellowship with him in a beautiful way on this Father's Day. You have a father that you can trust every day, all day, no matter what. He won't let you go. No one, nothing can snatch you out of the hand of a loving father. Father God, we pray for that reality to dawn on us today, that your grace would cover us, your spirit would wash over us. If you need his grace today, reach out to receive it. Jesus, I believe in you. I have confessed my sins and failings, and I ask you just to cover me, wash me, make me whole. Thank you for your love. Thank you for eternity that you give as a gift. I receive it by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in 2014, our then mayor, Kevin Johnson, had established a committee of community leaders, healthcare professionals, others, and he had two seats at the table for clergy members. I learned of that and got invited to be one of the two clergy members. The other was Sherwood Carthen. He was serving with me. He was just a beautiful friend. And he passed away, actually, not long after we served together on this committee. We had been together in a meeting in this church. And then just days after, my brother, Pastor Carthen, had a heart attack and went to heaven. I miss him a lot. I think of him even coming back to this experience of serving in homeless concerns for our community. Since then, the homeless issues have only worsened, and many reasons for that for sure. The seasons that we've been through have elevated the lack of, of income for people and housing, so we're seeing it in just an amazing display on our streets today, and it's concerning. So this issue of homelessness is only getting more difficult, and yet what I found happened in my life was instead of having a feeling of disdain for people that were in a difficult place, how God opened up my heart to care about them. As part of the message, I would pray that we could all receive today and going forward is how we view people that are in difficult situations. As we were working with the mayor in this committee, we had established a winter sanctuary where we gathered 30 churches together. It all came through our efforts with our team, and we contacted other churches in the community. 30 churches were serving from Thanksgiving to March. We did this for two or three years running, where the homeless people would gather downtown and be bused to churches each night, and a church would take maybe a week at a time. We would do that. Many of you served there. In the evenings, we would provide food. The church provided the food for free, not a cost to the city. And we would serve those that would come and have spaces for them to lay down sleeping bags and have a, a nice place, a quiet place, and a sheltered place to sleep at night and then breakfast in the morning. And they would bus back downtown. The daytimes, they could navigate fine. But each night during the winter season, when it gets rainy, cold, there would be a place for many to come. We had done this for you know, two, three years when the city's funding for the infrastructure, the buses cost some to operate, some security that have to be on point every day. And that infrastructure, the money had dried up at the city. So Mayor Johnson asked me again, is there anything that you could do? you have any ideas? How can we raise some funds so we don't have to stop this program? I came back to our team here at the church and met with our staff, and we started dialoguing around that. Is there any ideas that we could come up with? Right before that meeting, I had had a thought come into my mind. What if I went and lived on the street among the homeless, and as an awareness, we could do a social media campaign to see if people would contribute to get the preacher off the street was kind of the idea. I'd only shared it with my wife, and she actually resonated with the idea. I was somewhat surprised, but it seemed like in her spirit, she felt like it could be a, a provision from God. And then when I met with our team, I didn't share that idea. And one of our team members 
put that on the table. And I thought, well, that for me was confirmation. This must be something we're feeling, feeling led to do. So two weeks after that meeting, we launched, because when you go homeless, you don't plan. You just end up there. And we didn't do a lot of planning. I took money that I had in my wallet on a Sunday. I preached on a Sunday, went back to my office, picked up a backpack, a sleeping bag, left my keys, left my wallet, took my ID and my cell phone. Homeless people have cell phones. I did discover that. At the time, they called them Obama phones because they were government provided. And so that felt like I wasn't cheating the system to do that. And I didn't know what I had in my wallet. I just took what I had, and it happened to be $60 and ended up going walking across the, the overpass on Mayhew to the light rail, got on light rail and ended up downtown and stayed there for two weeks until taking it back, ending up here at church on a Sunday morning to share my story. That two-week period was life transforming, and that's what this story emanates from. There are many other tangents that, that come, it's in the book that goes into many other issues that relate to what was learned in this experience of living among our city. I want to read just a little excerpt from one of the chapters in the book to get us started. I'd been on the streets a few days when I met with a few friends from church. Someone in that conversation used the term incarnate. What do you mean, I asked. You put yourself in others' shoes, he said. It was a turning point for me. It's where I began thinking about Jesus and the homeless and all kinds of broken people in a whole new way. I began seeing John 1 and Hebrews 4 differently because I started seeing what God did for me in a different way. Incarnation isn't just a fancy theological term for me anymore. I had learned that word incarnation. Jesus became incarnate, becoming God, as God, becoming man, and taking on our form. That was the original incarnation. Jesus incarnated. He came into my world. He pulled on my shoes. He experienced life like I do, all of it, the hurts, the pains, the sorrows. If anybody understands what you're going through, Jesus does. Jesus knows where we're weak, but he doesn't condemn us for that. His grace covers us. He came to shelter us. He came to love us, not to put us under pressure, not to cause us trouble. He came to resolve our troubles. He came to take the pain, all that we would ever have, on himself. He came to take our place. He says, I want you to be healthy. I want you to be well. We first read of the incarnation in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. This is speaking of Jesus. He is the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then to verse 14. And the word became flesh. Jesus, the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The incarnation shows us the perfection of God's love. The word that is the title for today's talk is perfection. Jesus, the incarnation, shows us the perfection of God's love. There's nothing ever been like it or will be. When God himself comes and takes on our form and he's perfect, the incarnation that he provided for us is the picture of perfection. John 3, verse 16, and then verse 17 that follows describes so well his heart in the incarnation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Talk about perfection. Jesus comes into our world in our form to set us free. Seeing our brokenness, seeing that we were messed up and had no way of fixing ourselves, he came into our form and said, I'm going to figure this out for you. He lived perfectly in our form, though he was tempted in all points like we are. He could have fallen, yet he did not. He lived perfectly, and he became the perfect sacrifice that we deserve to pay. He took it upon himself, and he did not come to condemn us. We were condemned already by the evil one, by the devil, and Jesus rescues us from condemnation. If you live with a spirit of condemnation at all today, and it's possible, like, we know our brokenness, we know where we fall short, and sometimes we can't get the enemy's voice out of our head of how awful we are and how condemned we are. We often condemn ourselves, but Jesus doesn't. He did not come to condemn you, but to save you. The incarnation is perfection. What Jesus did is perfect, and when I accept him as my provision, I am no longer condemned by the devil. He can't condemn me anymore because I now belong to Jesus, and the light dispels the darkness. It's a beautiful truth. The incarnation shows us the perfection of Jesus' understanding of our hurt, of our struggles, of our temptations. I mentioned Hebrews 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's calling us to come near to him, the the throne of grace, the place where there's mercy, We don't come near to Jesus and he goes, oh, you are a mess. Get away from me. We come near to Jesus and he's like, oh, you're in the right place. Let me wrap my arms of love around you. There's mercy here. There's grace here. He's full of grace and truth and he then enables us to help others in their time of need. The incarnation provides a perfect sacrifice for our eternal freedom. Jesus did not deserve death but he died. He did it willingly. The perfect one became the perfect sacrifice. We deserve punishment, but we receive forgiveness. This is the glory of the message of good news that Jesus has for us. The incarnation is a message of perfection, and that when we receive his grace, what he's come to give, that perfection invades our life, and he now sees us like he is, perfect as he is. This is the glory of the message that he puts in our heart. My homeless experience caused me to see people who had been invisible to me for 20 years up until the time I walked into that situation. Let me read just another excerpt from the book. I couldn't remember a single soul from those two decades. They were not on my radar the homeless. I had something else to do. They were not my concern. Basically, they were not people to me. I had my latte and my ministry appointments. Or if I noticed them at all, it was they can't be helped. They're mentally ill. They want to be out here. They don't want a place to stay. Or what can you do? It's drug addicts and alcoholics and prostitutes and criminals. They made their bed, let them lie in it. It's their problem. Or all those people living off my taxes. Why don't they get a job? What's wrong with them? Until now, for a few extraordinary days, I saw them. I was with them. They became human beings. It wasn't about the concept of homelessness. It was about people. The people Jesus came for, the people 
his incarnation was for. I didn't expect what happened to me to happen. I was trying to raise money to keep a program going, and we succeeded at that. But in the process, I started having my heart broken for these broken people. I started seeing people that I had dismissed as irrelevant, sitting with them, looking in their eyes. And even though at times it seemed like empty shells, you could still see value there. There was a change that happened to me I didn't expect. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't asking for it. It just started happening. And I'm praying that I don't lose it. Thus, the reason why about three or four years after this experience, I chose to take another week and without any project in mind and without any announcement, just I'm going to go do this for a week. And a couple of years ago, I revisited the streets for a week from a Sunday to a Sunday. I didn't want to lose what I felt like God had been speaking to me about, and it's so easy to get away from that, to get out of that environment, to start seeing the problem escalate like it is right now, and to get disgusted and to begin to not care and to begin to wish that this problem would just go away. I started having thoughts. I got concerned about myself. Why am I starting to think this way again? I'm falling into a pattern and I went for another week. I don't know if I'll do it again. My mom called me the other day. She had read the book and just had finished it, and she was complimenting me for that. But then she said, I sure hope you don't go and do that again. I'm like, I get it, Mom. It's my mom. I'm a 63-year-old baby to my mom, like it's always going to be, right? I appreciated that. Yet I don't know that I won't do it again because it depends. If I find myself start feeling calloused and uncaring, it might be something that I, I it's no, nobody else, I'm not saying that no one else needs to do that. You don't need to do that. Read the book and learn the lesson that maybe I can share from my heart with you. Speaking of taxes, in our reading of the Gospel of Matthew, we continue from where we left off last week. We find ourselves at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, when you read Mark's account of the same story, he, he explains the same thing. He expands a little bit and said there was a whole bunch of tax collectors there and others, and they were having dinner at Matthew's house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This experience is quite compelling. Why are there stories in the Bible like this? People that are messed up, people that are broken, and Jesus comes and helps them, gives them a future, changes their life. The purpose of these stories is not to tell us what Jesus did. This is a fact. This is a part of history, and it's good to know what he did. The purpose is to tell us what Jesus does. This is who he is. This isn't like, well, that was nice. This is like, this is the way life is now. This is what Jesus does today. He's not doing it just for them. He's doing it for me. He's doing it for you. When I read these stories of what Jesus did, it's like life-giving, because it's like, you would do that for me if I'm that guy? You'd sit me with me too? 
Thank you, Jesus. This is what he does. He's defining himself and the perfection of his incarnation. Who were these tax collectors? A brief study of the day reveals to us that the tax collectors were Jews and these Jewish tax collectors were not well respected in the land. In fact, there were Jews that despised the Jewish tax collectors. They worked in collaboration with the Roman government that ruled over them. Tax collectors paid the authorities for the privilege of collecting taxes. Then they overcharged people, skimming off the top to line their own pockets. There was no technology in that day. They had to collect it face-to-face and telling people how much they owed. How are people supposed to know? These tax collectors were criminal. They were thieves. And this was their reputation. This is what they were known for. There are many people with whom most Christians today would not eat. And the Pharisees identify these tax collectors as that kind. What are you doing, Jesus, eating with those people? Like That was like really despised by the people of the day, tax collectors and sinners. So the sinners group could be whatever. I mean, lump it all in there. Who do we decide we don't want to be around? If we're not careful, we develop the attitude of the Pharisee instead of the attitude of the incarnate one who is perfection, who in his perfection is not afraid of anybody, but says, I'm here to help you. And he sits down with the broken so that he can help them find a place of freedom. What is it in our world? Who do we not want to sit down with? The homeless? Do we not want to sit down with the LGBTQ people? They're precious souls that Jesus loves. And if we just decide we're going to get categories going and lump people into sinning categories, where do you stop? In this house right now, what kind of mess did we bring in ourselves today? How, how much other aberrant behaviors are represented in, our, in, in this room? But we, we've got some favorite ones that we pick out and say, this is what's wrecking our world today when there's the evil one and there's evil for sure, but the people who are bearing the brunt of the evil attack are very precious to Jesus, and he would sit down with them. When we have relationships with people of other faith groups, I have a Jewish rabbi friend, I have a Muslim imam friend, I've been to a Ramadan event, And, man, that's risky because religious people go, what are you doing eating with them? And I suddenly feel like I'm in good company because Jesus is the perfection of incarnation who we're not there to let someone else's ways rub off on us. We're there to say they matter, they're important, and let's see if we can't. Let the love of Jesus flow through us to the world around us. Looking at people the way Jesus does is a radically different way of looking at people. It's looking at people with God's mercy. Verse 13 in Matthew 9, Jesus said, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage to the Pharisees. The Pharisees know the law. They know the Old Testament. That's what they do every day. They're steeped in it. And Jesus says to them a statement that's written in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. Go away and think about this. What does this mean? I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Well, he's quoting an experience that they knew about. I had to go look that up, and it's one of the more amazing stories in the whole Bible. Hosea is a prophet 
a minister of God, and God asked Hosea to marry a prostitute. Her name is Gomer, and he does. He follows the direction of God's word to him. And after the marriage, and they are in a covenant relationship of marriage, Gomer keeps going back to her old way, her old life. And she's unfaithful to Hosea time after time. And God keeps telling Hosea to take her back. Take her back again. Take her back again. God's mercy embraces sinful people. And now, in this experience that God is describing out of Hosea, he is likening Hosea and Gomer's relationship and why he's asking Hosea to keep taking her back to the Israelites who had had a covenant relationship with God and followed him but then didn't. They got messed up in their thinking and they created other idols and worshipped other gods and their lifestyle got very sideways. And then after a time, they would realize it and they would repent and they would come back to God. And what would God do? He would take them back. And then they would go down another aberrant path, and what would God do? He would take them back again. And God is revealing to us what he's like, how we're broken people, and Jesus, the incarnate one, is perfection, and what does he do? He comes among the broken, and now he's calling us to do the same, to find people that are maybe not in the right place. Maybe their lifestyle's a pretty big, fat mess. Maybe it doesn't agree, the scripture doesn't agree with what people are doing. Like, we, we, uh, <laughs> we live the life of perfection according to the scriptures. Like, it calls us all out, but then shows us the way is that Jesus is the way. His perfection covers all of us. And when that happens, we can stay united with him. He keeps calling us of how to grow, how to overcome the temptations that come our way but he's calling us to look at people that are broken differently, not condemningly, not judgmentally. That's usually where we go. Hosea chapter three, verse one, I'll wrap up. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or priest, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. God will always take us back. What did Hosea do? He actually purchased Gomer back. He paid what needed to be paid what did Jesus do for us? He redeemed us. He paid for us the price that needed to be paid. It was his death. It was his blood shed on the cross. Jesus came and in his perfection said, let me buy you back. Hosea bought Gomer back, paid for her, and now says, please stay. Don't go back to your old ways. I've purchased your redemption. You don't need to earn money from that behavior any longer. I've got you covered. I have you covered forever. Just stay with me now. And God is saying to you and to me, I've got you covered. I've paid the price for you. You don't have to go back. You don't have to do this anymore. You don't need to go into that path. I've got you covered. We should never forget this is a picture of God's love for us. I'm Gomer. You are. Gomer, there's a lot more Gomers in the world. What do we do? Go have dinner with them. Go sit with them, go talk to them, go 
Let them know that there's a price that's been paid. It's already covered. They didn't have to continue in their broken state. The transformation God wants for me is not just for me to be saved. It's also a transformation in how I interact with others. I want to be free from my prison of negativity. Today, there's so much noise. This world is a big, fat mess. It is. And it's getting harder, it feels like, to figure out how to navigate, even on a spiritual front. Yet, I want to not be a part of a church that approaches the brokenness of this world with pure negativity, but rather the incarnation of Jesus is perfection. I want to strive for the perfection he displayed when he said, I'm here for you. We can speak about what's wrong as far as sin goes, but the people we need to love on, when we start confusing the message of what's wrong in the world, that it's the people that are the wrong thing in the world, we've confused the message. The idea of hating the sin and loving the sinner sounds nice. It's just really hard to separate the two. We don't know how to do that. When we start hating the sin, we tend to lump that on the sinner. We don't know how to keep that separate. God does. And he wants to help us learn it. He wants to help us figure out how we hate the sin that does destroy, but that we're not putting that on the sinner like they're the problem. They have a problem, but we love them. And so we're gonna go and sit with tax collectors and sinners, with homeless people, with gay people, with Muslim people, with people of other persuasions. We're gonna go sit with people and say, how can I help you? And when there are broken people, we don't want a caste system. Now there's a great backlash that's coming in this season that we're in because there's such great racial unrest. Now it's the critical race theory that is the problem that we need to make sure we don't go there. And it's a big backlash against trying to care for people that have been oppressed for many, many years. We need to be careful. We don't even understand what that term means. All I wanna do is say, God, I wanna follow you. I wanna be Jesus. I wanna sit with people that are broken. I wanna care for people that have been oppressed and where there is systemic problems, I wanna figure out how to fix that. What can we do to change the world by loving on people and setting the captive free? God wants to show us how to do that. There's perfection in the incarnation. God, I pray you help us to figure out you and receive your love that's amazing. Wash over us and cleanse us. If you need his grace today, just pray with me. Jesus, I believe in you. I know I've sinned, I need your help. Cover me today with your grace, with your mercy. I wanna follow you, I accept your offer of forgiveness. Thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen.